Well, good morning, everyone. Aren't you glad that it's springtime? I think it's one of my favorite times of the year. I think I'm going to have to ask you to advance the slide. Uh, it's one of my favorite times of the year, and there are certain signs of spring, aren't there? Like, what would be a sign of spring that you know of? Yes, of course, yes, all of those things. Now, I think of, uh, I think of birds like robins and red-winged blackbirds that come. That's a sign of spring. Flowers that bloom like tulips that come up. Even though it's snowing out, you can see some tulips popping up and daffodils come and trees start budding. I'm wearing a yellow tie. All signs of spring. But there is actually a much better sign of spring, one that we haven't mentioned yet, but it is the actual sign of spring. And that is that the earth is, where our, our part of the world anyway, is moving closer to the sun. And as we get closer to the sun, things start warming up, it stays lighter longer, and that's what causes the trees to bud. It's not the weather necessarily, sometimes it can be cold, but it's the fact that we are moving closer to the sun that brings the springtime. I don't know if you can see the uh, example here. As we move closer to the sun, things start coming to life and things start happening. Like the next slide. Even so, when you see these things, you know that it is near. Jesus used this as an example. The signs of a tree budding, the signs of a fig tree budding. So when you see that, you know that summer is near. And so when you see some of the signs that Jesus refers to, you also know that the end is near, right at the door. He said this in the next slide. For many will come in my name, claiming that I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Jesus used this as a sign so that we would know, he's telling us in advance, he says, that, he, that you will know the end of human history, that many will come in my name. The first time that I was in Jerusalem, which is the next slide, um, I was with Steve Engstrom, who was our missionary there. He worked for an organization called Shoresh. He was the director of Shoresh uh, in Jerusalem. So he lived there, worked there, and he took me to uh, a night market in Jerusalem. And as we were walking through the night market, there were a lot of things happening, and then we saw a bunch of Orthodox Jews. And you can tell an Orthodox Jew when you see one. They're wearing black coats, white shirts, and big hats. And if you see somebody that looks like that, you'll know they are Orthodox. And they were dancing and chanting and singing and spinning around in circles and having a great time. And they were waving this flag, this yellow flag, and it had a crown on it. And then written underneath it were some words in Hebrew, which I couldn't quite understand. So I asked Steve, I said, what, what's written on that flag? And he said, Messiah is coming. And I thought, 
what? They're waiting for Jesus to come back? And then I realize, oh, no, these are Orthodox Jews. They're still waiting for the Messiah. In fact, within the Orthodox tradition, they believe that the Messiah is born every generation. That person is just waiting for the anointing of God on them so that they will know that they are the Messiah. That happened not too long ago, um, which is the next slide. Rabbi Menachem Schneerson from Brooklyn, his followers thought that he probably would be the Messiah, that person that was born in this generation that would be the Savior for Israel, that would bring about the re return of the glory of the kingdom of Israel. Now, Rabbi Snearson was not quite so sure about that, although his followers thought he indeed was the Messiah. They were proclaiming him as the Messiah, but what Rabbi Snearson said is, well, I'm not sure, I don't know, but when I set foot on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, then I will know if I am the Messiah or not. Well, unfortunately, Rabbi Schneerson died before he had the opportunity to travel to Jerusalem and set foot on the Temple Mount. But he was one of those, I'd have to say, false messiahs. And there were many others in the next slide. And probably you recognize some of these names. David Koresh from the Branch Davidians, Jim Jones from the People's Temple, Sun Young Moon from the Unification Church. These are well-known people that have claimed deity or being the Messiah in some way or another, false Christ. Jesus said, do not believe them. Misra Gulam Ahmad, maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't, but he was the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement. We have an Ahmadiyya mosque in Zion. Ahmed Ahmad thought that he not only was the uh, Islamic muhadi, but also the reincarnation of Jesus. It was a two-for-one deal with him. So he thought he was the Messiah of Islam and the Messiah of Christianity, the reincarnation of Jesus. And then Isaiah Shembe, um, those of you that are headed to South Africa, you might run across some of his followers, the Amma Nazarene. So there are the Amma Zioni, the people of Zion, and at about the same time in 1905, Isaiah Shembe, claimed that he was God and actually wrote scriptures very similar to what we see with the Amazione. They dress the same, they act the same, and it's kind of hard to tell them apart, actually. But the difference would be that Isaiah Shembe claimed to be God. False. False messiahs. Jesus said, do not believe them. His coming, he said, will be like lightning in the sky, like lightning from the east. People will see it in the west. There will be no mistake about the Messiah coming. It's a sure thing. You'll be able to recognize it for sure. So all of these others, they're false. At the beginning of this passage in Matthew 24, the, the next slide, um, the disciples were leaving the temple area, and they turned to Jesus and drew his attention to these buildings. Now, this is another sign. Maybe not so much for us, but certainly for the first century. 
as Jesus was walking away, he said to them, when he left the Temple Mount, he said to them, do you see these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left upon another. Every one will be thrown down. They have to understand the context here. Jesus had just entered the city of Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, being praised and worshipped as the king of Israel, someone who was going to restore the glory of Israel. And as he entered into that temple area, he cleared it from the money changers and those that were selling sacrificial animals. He wiped the temple clean and he said, this house shall be a house of prayer. And he healed many people. And he won arguments with the religious leaders. He talked them down, put them in their place. And I can imagine that as the disciples were leaving this beautiful, grand temple area, they were thinking, what a firm foundation to Jewish life and worship. And we're right in the middle of it. And Jesus is about to come and proclaim publicly that he is the Messiah to restore Israel. I can imagine that they were a little bit surprised when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, all this stuff is going to be destroyed. Not one stone left on another. And indeed, that's what happened. In the next slide, you'll see. If you go to Jerusalem today, and if you are walking on that ancient pavement, archaeologists have had removed all of the debris. So what you're seeing there is first century pavement. What you're seeing there is also the, the stalls where store owners, uh, people bought and sold along that route there. It's also where Titus and Roman soldiers took apart the temple block by block and threw them over the wall of the temple. You can see the imprint of those massive stones hitting the pavement and breaking it apart. Not one stone was left on another. Well, there's an application for us in this sign of Jesus coming, which undoubtedly was fulfilled in the first century. Because we too are living in a day and age where our foundations are being shaken. We've just witnessed how easy it is for the nations of the world to hold us hostage because of a virus. There used to be a time when the U.S. dollar was rock solid and our economy was flourishing. That's no longer the case. There used to be a time in this country where the founding, our founding documents and the rule of law had weight. There was a time when human life was sacred. There was a time when the meaning and definition of marriage was clear to everyone. And there was even a time and it's kind of embarrassing even to say it, that we 
knew the difference between a man and a woman. Our foundations are being shaken. But these things must come. So when our worlds are shaken, when our temples are taken apart, even good things taken apart stone by stone, understand this, there is a reason for this, these things happening. Because we're moving closer to the time when God said he is going to wipe away every tear from our eye. We're moving closer to the time when he said in the book of Revelation that you will never hunger or thirst again. We're moving closer to that time when, as it says in Revelation, you will never again feel the scorching sun beating down on you. And these are the things that I'm looking forward to. Now, there are many other signs that Jesus mentioned here in this passage. In the next slide, we see that there are wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation. Are we about to enter World War III? Well, that's certainly a rumor with Russia invading the Ukraine. Jesus said these things must happen. And these things are signs that we are getting closer to the end of human history. Famines, earthquakes. Jesus said this, You will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. Many will turn away from the faith. You will be betrayed and false prophets will deceive many. So as we are moving closer to this time and we see these things happening, and I, I could spend quite a bit of time outlining all of these things that are happening, all of these signs that are occurring, but I'm not going to do that because there is one sign that is crystal clear. There is one sign that Jesus mentions here that there is no doubt. Now, you might be wondering about the wars and rumors of wars and whether this earthquake or that famine is in it is one of those signs that Jesus is talking about. But if you want the end, if you want Jesus to, to return in all of his glory and wipe away every tear from your eye, there is this sign. And that is this. The next slide. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Now what does it say? And then the end will come. So all of these other things that are happening, that have happened throughout history, are all examples that we are moving closer to the time, but the sign that we are getting closer to his return is that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. So do you want all this to end? Preach the gospel. You want peace and stability to reign? Preach the gospel. You want peace in your community, in your home, in your life? Preach the gospel. There are at least four different ways 
of looking at the end of human history. Four views that outline the, the end of human history, each with a little bit of a different timeline. All of them end with the coming of Christ, the imminent return of Christ. All of those different views of the book of Revelation and what's going to happen when, all of those different views believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. In other words, he is right at the door. He could return at any time. But I think one of the greatest signs of his coming is that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. And we do that from this pulpit here at Christ Community Church. We do that in our community, and we do that around the world. Brothers and sisters, some amazing things have been happening in these last few decades that you would not believe. The next slide is uh, some statistics from 2018. I don't know if you can really see them or not, so um, I'll explain them to you. What the, what the world looks like in terms of Christianity. There was a time... Back in 1960, for example, when most Christians, more than half of all of Christianity, lived in what's called the global north, that is North America and Europe. But the tables have turned quite a bit, and now more Christians live in Africa, Asia, and Latin America than any place else on the planet. Sometimes you'll go places and people will say, well, you know, I'm not so sure about believing in the, in the gospel, in, in Christ, because it's a white man's religion. Well, it never was, and it certainly is not today. More Christians live in Africa, Asia, and Latin America than any place else, and 2018 was an important year, because that is the year that more Christians lived in Africa than any place else on the planet. There are more believers, more people who call themselves Christians that live in Africa than any place else, followed by Latin America. The global north has lost those who follow Christ. The rest of the world, the global south, more people have followed Christ. And if you look at the next slide, evangelicals are making a huge impact around the world. Uh, evangelicals are those that believe in the inspiration and authority of Scripture and actively proclaim the gospel. That would be a distinctive of somebody who says, I am an evangelical. Believe in the authority of the Word of God and will make known and promote the uh, Great Commission and the Great Commandments uh, around the world. And so you can see these major religious blocks and their growth. They're outpaced significantly by evangelical church growth. The evangelical church around the world is growing faster than any of the religious blocks in the whole world. And brothers and sisters, I'd say that's significant. The next slide. Back in 1974, a man by the name of Billy Graham, maybe you've heard of him, got together a group of evangelical Christian leaders in Lausanne, Switzerland. And they held a conference to talk about world evangelization and what the future might look like. And they ended that conference with, with this as their watchword. 
They wanted the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. In 1974, there was kind of an imbalance because most missionaries came from the global north, that is North America and, and, uh, and Europe. But there is a, a huge shift that has occurred. And in the next slide, you'll see that as of 2001, there are 27,000 missionaries being sent out from the global north. That's where we live. We've sent missionaries out from our church that are part of that statistic. But what kind of blows my mind is that there are 203,000 missionaries sent all over the world from the global south. That is Africa, Asia, and Latin America. 430,000 missionaries being sent out by global-minded churches to preach the gospel around the world. And they are joined by 13.4 million local pastors and local evangelists in proclaiming the message of the gospel. This is a sign, brothers and sisters. The gospel has taken root in every corner of the planet. This gospel of the kingdom is being proclaimed in all the world. Next slide. The church in China back in 1949, when actually people were being expelled, Christian missionaries were being expelled from China, people thought that might be the end. But it wasn't. Now there's between 80 and 100 million followers of Christ in China. Amazing church growth that has occurred in that continent. I know you don't hear much about it. What you hear about is the Chinese Communist Party and what they're doing and what they're planning and what they're scheming. But the church is alive and well in China, as it is in Indonesia, the next slide, which is the largest Muslim nation in the world. Some latest uh, a, a new book has just come out about what's happening in Indonesia. About 80,000 new house churches over these last few years. The Christian population in Indonesia, according to this person, is about 15%. When Donna and I lived and worked in Indonesia, it was about 5%. People in Indonesia say it's more like 30% of the population are followers of Christ. This the most populous Muslim nation in the world. More than half, or almost half, of all Muslim background believers come from Indonesia. And when this huge church growth started, the same thing that happened in China has happened in Indonesia. The government has shut down the statistics. They are no longer asking the question, how many of us Indonesians are followers of Christ? They don't want to know because the church is alive and growing. If you try to find that video that I've put up on the screen there, you won't find it. Facebook took it down. They said that uh, it's false, that people aren't coming to Christ. Well, they are coming to Christ in Indonesia. The next slide. Did you know that the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran? Back in 1979, there were only 500 known Christians in the country. Today, there's more than a million. And it is the fastest growing church 
in the world. If you uh, take a look on the internet and you, you, you find, uh, you'll find a video, or if you look for this video, uh, sheep in wolf's clothing, number two. It talks about what's happening in Iran today. Islam in Iran is an empty shell. The political leaders and those religious elite are part of the Islamic structure, but nobody goes to the mosque. The churches are full in Iran. And in Egypt, the next slide, the government is no longer keeping track of the numbers of Christians in Egypt, but there are possibly 10% of the country that have become followers of Christ. Now, this is the center of Sunni Orthodox Islam. If you want to learn about Islam and you want to go to the Harvard or Yale of Islam, you would go to Cairo to study in the masjids that are in Cairo. But there is something happening in Egypt that is unprecedented. People are coming to know Christ. And when Don and I had the opportunity to visit um, our worker there, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you his name. Many of you know who he is, but he's already in enough trouble with the government, so no need to give him more publicity. He took us to a place called, the, uh, called Garbage City, the next slide. And um, this is a place that um, Christian migrants who came from other parts of Egypt, they came to Cairo and they started to collect garbage. And in, in about the mid-1970s, the government took all of these garbage collectors, most of whom were Christian, and moved them, forcibly moved them, to the garbage piles just outside of Cairo. These are called the Zabalin, means garbage collector. And these garbage collectors, 95% of them are Christian, they started collecting garbage and started recycling garbage, and they did such a good job at that that they actually became quite wealthy. They did a great job. It's kind of like what happened with the uh, Israelites in, in Egypt. They grew in number and became successful in what they did. This is exactly what's happened in Egypt. And believe it or not, if you wanted to go to the church of the Zabalin in the garbage dump, you have to go down that road. It doesn't smell very nice there, but the next slide, as you enter into the church complex area, it kind of opens up, and the Zabalin, uh, they built a church, but the government burned it down, and so they, they dug into the, into the sides of the cliffs there, and they made caves, and in these, the next slide, in these caves can seat about 20,000 people in five caves. So there's another slide with another cave. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And then the largest cave that they have, the next slide, is can seat 10,000 people. I didn't believe this statistic when I first read it, but I, I, other sources say the same thing. 70,000 Egyptian Christians worship there every week. They go down that road that I showed you to come and worship. 70,000 every week come to this place, the garbage dump of Cairo, to worship. It's an amazing thing. But it was predicted. 
Back in Isaiah chapter 19, the next slide, it says, In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. Now, can you imagine Isaiah writing this back then? Egypt and Assyria were Israel's arch enemies. And here God has him writing, Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. And you and I might be saying the same thing right now. You mean Iranians and Egyptians will be worshiping God? The, the heart and soul of Islam? They'll be God worshipers? I don't believe it. Isaiah says, in that day, a future day for him, but I think today for us, Israel will be third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Almighty, the Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. Would we ever have thought that the gospel would take root in the heart of the Islamic world? And yet it has. This gospel of the kingdom is being preached throughout the whole world. And the end is coming. Now, if for whatever reason you don't believe me, I've got a video to show you. This was filmed on November 11th. Go ahead and, and take that slide down, and you can get ready for the video. November 11th, 2011, um, at this church, the Cave Church, in the garbage dumps outside of Cairo. They had a special day of prayer, and uh, actually all night, of praying for the nation, that Egypt would be restored to God. Brothers and sisters, you're going to have the opportunity to watch what happened. And if you don't understand Arabic, read what they're singing.
Amen. You know, that video has been seen millions of times. You can find it on YouTube if you want to watch it again. And every time I, I see it, I get emotional to see how many of our brothers and sisters from Egypt are worshiping God. And the gospel has taken root in Egypt, in Iran, in Indonesia, in China, and all over the world. Has it taken root in your heart, brothers and sisters? you're here today and the gospel has not impacted you, has not taken root in your heart, I'm going to stay up here after the service if you'd like to talk about knowing who Jesus is. I'd be happy to talk to you about that. Would you stand for the benediction? So in Revelation chapter 7, John has this vision of a multitude that no one could count. And he is holding in, his, in these, the multitude, they're holding in their hands palm branches, like you saw the kids carrying in today, and like what happened centuries ago in Jerusalem as the crowds were waving, um, identifying Jesus as their king. Well, this crowd, which is actually you, because it's a future vision, you're there. You're holding a palm branch. And you know what you're saying? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Amen? Amen. God bless you.